Podcast, a podcast where we tell you stories of true crime, paranormal, and conspiracy theories to provide you weird distraction for your everyday life. I'm Alex. And Christy. And we are back to conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. <laughs> I'm so tone deaf. It's great. Um, before we dive in, just a kind, friendly reminder from episode 16. At the end of our show, before we kind of promote our own shit, we will be promoting other people's shit. Because why? <laughs> We're great like that. We're great like that. No, I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, we yeah. are. We, yeah, we are. We're pretty cool. We're not to, <laughs> not to toot our home, but uh, toot, toot. Um, we will be promoting five podcasts uh, down our long list of podcasts after a Twitter, after, sorry, Twitter, after a tweet that went <laughs> mildly viral. <laughs> with our followers um, to promote some smaller or some uh, just overall podcasts or different things that kind of fit our jam that you should be paying attention to because if you need a distraction from us you probably should have more distractions because we are only out once a week and there's a lot of days in the week so there's a lot of days in the week christy what is your need for a weird distraction this week this week or every week, it's work. <laughs> work, 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 work. Don't work, sue work. us, Rihanna. Work, work. <laughs> no, uh, as always, I live in a hospital, which is up in rural cottage country, and they just keep saying, "Don't go to the hospitals. Don't be traveling to tax the small communities." Wait, you live in the hospital? Did I say that? Yeah, you did. Oh, I, live, I live in a town with a small hospital. I basically do live in the hospital. You I basically work, do live in the hospital. I work every point. day this month, 27 days. Yeah, it's, I might as well live there. Before we started recording this, we we're trying to figure out like when to record next. And we're like, so we could do like this time at this specific hour as the moon hits just right. Because I work too much. <laughs> well, no, and you know what? Fair enough, because with shift work, you're not necessarily guaranteed. Like, you're guaranteed income of some sorts, but, like, mm-hmm. it's a lot trickier as opposed to, like, salary, where you, you just get the money that you were promised. Yeah, like, if I worked the five days and got the money, I'd be like, that's <clears> what <throat> I make. But, uh, like, exactly. But, no, I just have to, like, I'm poor. <laughs> I say I'm poor. I'm really not that poor. But I feel like I'm always poor, so I just need to say yes to everything. So I just work every day. Which is funny because you'll be like, yeah, I'm really broke. I've got like 1200 in my bank account. I'm like, I have two doll hairs. <laughs> They'll ask me till payday. Not even 1200 I'll be like, I have 12000 You're like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. I have two loonies I could rub together. And I probably will still spend them at Tim Hortons once all is said and done. On the ice cap. On the ice cap. My distraction. God, what do I need to distract myself from? Everything, it seems like. Everything is chaos. No, I would say my need for distraction would be just summer. Like even with the pandemic, shit's busy. Mm-hmm. Like um, as we're recording this, phase three in Ontario was just announced, and they're opening up obviously more stores. I didn't more... even listen to it today. Actually. I honestly, I I've kind of. Oh, anyways, but now people are like, oh my gosh, let's get together. Oh my gosh, let's have a party. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have a wedding, and it's just like. I think this Friday they're potentially upping the numbers. And I was well, like, yeah, it's going from 100 people outside and, and 50, 50 inside. Yeah, which I'm like... That's a big jump. That's a big fucking jump. You just had, what, 10? 10, yeah. <laughs> which, like, I'm all about... Like, I would love to go back to some form of normalcy, but in the same sense, it's like, I'm also... It's weird, because like, I like being around people, and I like talking to people. Obviously, that's why we have a podcast. But 
I also hate people. With passion. With a passion, which... I feel like it's just our line of works, like, because we deal with people every day, it just makes us less tolerable, and we're like, I fucking hate people. I know. It's just, it's awful. But, you know what? You know how to ease the pain of people? Is to talk about conspiracy theories about people. And distract yourself. Um, So, this week, we are chatting, just gonna bust out these good old notes... Hopefully not poorly written like the last time, or they were written right and I just can't pronounce anything because I was dehydrated and didn't want to leave my computer to grab another drink. (laughs) Um, This week we are talking about the conspiracy theories surrounding the Yuba County Five. This is wild. I don't think I've ever heard of that. I've never actually heard of it until... Yuba County Five? Yuba County Five. Hmm. And I think I've mentioned it before, but it's coming to a point where I am, I'm not running out of, I'm not running out of conspiracy theories, but like, we kind of are, kind of are. <laughs> and like, I don't want to cover common ones. Like I'm not, I don't want to cover coronavirus. Cause like, I just, there's not enough information. You want to cover ones that like, aren't stupid. Like you well, want yeah. like, stuff that like is legitimately like possibly believable and like has some background. Exactly. And that's and like interesting. interesting and weird. And like with our dark aesthetic. Of my soul. Of my soul, you know? So, like, this fits into it. So, we're going to break down um, the background information about the five men along with the actual situation and then some conspiracy theories about why it went down. All right. Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Do you need a drink before we go? I'm good. Go. You good? Okay. <laughs> so, referred to as, quote, America's Diet Love Pass incident. This incident took place in February of 1978. So, we're going backwards in time again. Um, in Plumas. Uh, I, I pronounced it right. <laughs> Plumas National Forest. Okay. That involved a group of five friends. Bill Sterling, who was 29, Jack Hewitt, who was 24, Ted Weir, which was which was who was 32, <laughs> Jack Madruga, who was 30, and finally Gary Mathias Mathis Matthew, who was 25. He, Gary was 25. <laughs> they have been referred to as the Yuba County Five through media reports. I did not make this up. I'm not that creative. They made their own title. They made their own title. Okay. So, okay, we're going to break down each of the members. That way you kind of have a clear picture of who we chatted about before we, you know, dive into the incident. So Gary came from all of Hearst, California. He lived at home with his parents and worked in the family's gardening and landscaping business before joining the military. Excuse me. It has been reported that Gary was discharged from the military due to psychiatric reasons five years before the incident um, we'll be chatting about today. He reportedly had a diagnosed diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia and was apparently known to display violent outbursts while he was in the military hence why he was asked to leave or discharge there have also been some reports that gary may have been dabbling with some drugs along with some reports that gary uh, was arrested potentially for an assault twice and often suffered psychiatric psychotic psychotic <laughs> episodes that landed him in local hospitals the no no with the military. Yeah. <clears throat> Gary had apparently a bit of a past uh, before he would get to know the rest of the Yuba County Five. Not only did he apparently assault an officer once, but according to one report, Gary was watching TV at his cousin's house around 8.30 a.m. one morning um, when his cousin's 17-year-old wife was asleep in their bedroom. The cousin went to check on Gary after a bathroom break 
turned suspiciously long. And trigger warning, he, the cousin, found Gary straddling his wife, groping her as she lay motionless in her underwear, according to case files. Trying to obviously figure out what the hell was going on, Gary's, Gary's cousin asked what he was doing and threatened to call 911, in which Gary allegedly responded, Good, I want to go back to jail. Okay. Yuba County Superior Court employees are still unable to find details of Gary's sentence. Under current California law, he would he could have faced up to three years in prison if convicted of battery of a peace officer and nine years for assault with intent to rape. But Gary was out within five months. Baloney. In his next run-in with the law, uh, a couple months later, police had evidence he visited the home of a couple he knew that were shooting meth and, quote, dropping bennies. Good crowd. Yeah. Uh, according to case files, uh, according to the reports, uh, Gary was acting erratically, talking about how he wanted to stab a woman in the jaw. The couple later told police. Apparently, Gary told their three-year-old daughter, I thought I'd kill you once. I guess I'll have to do it again. <laughs> Poor kid. Poor kid. Uh, the man alone reportedly kicked Gary out of their ha- house and watched as he pounded on locked doors until police arrived. Court records do not indicate he served any jail time in connection with the incident. After being picked up by Stockton police in 1974, Gary was admitted to a nearby state mental hospital. He spent two days before crawling out through a drain pipe and walking slash hitchhiking back to Marysville, still wearing his hospital pajamas, according to reports. This is not the first time he would escape, though. Where's the security? I know. I... I know. (laughs) Apparently, Gary snuck out of the Letterman Army Hospital psychiatric ward in San Fran and would walk from another mental health facility in 1975. Like, he was just known to, like, escape and, like, walk long distances. Escape artist. Keep that in mind for later. It is important. That he's a hitchhiker? That he can walk long distances. Oh, okay. By 1978, he was being treated on an outpatient basis, it was considered to be, quote, one of our sterling success cases, end quote. They, the doctors, thought that even with the medication, Gary would be fine in the community and that his paranoia and schizophrenia symptoms would only, only maybe come out in high-stress situations, which, like, no fucking shit. I think that's everyday <clears throat> life, I'm sorry. I know. As we move on to Jack Hewitt, or henceforward Jack H, because there's two Jacks. Jack H came from Marysville, California, and like Gary, also lived at home with his parents. He was diagnosed with a mild learning disability, and it should be noted that Jake, Jack H was super close with Ted. Now we're going to move on to Jack Madruga, or Jack M, similar to Jack H. Stay with me here. He also lived at home with his parents in Marysville. Prior to the incident, he had been laid off as a busboy. It has also been reported he may have had an undiagnosed learning disability. Jack M, also similar to Gary, served in the army and was apparently very close friends with Bill. Theodore, or Ted, lived in all of Hearst, California, like Gary, and reportedly had a diagnosed learning disability. Ted was described as extremely friendly, an extremely friendly person, and appeared outgoing, often talking to people he didn't necessarily know. Ted worked at a snack bar prior to the incident, and finally, the final member of the group, Will, who went William, who went by Bill, was from Yuba City. He apparently was known to be super friendly as well and volunteered at a mental institution where he read, talked, and spent time with the patients there. He was also known to be a, quote, man of faith, end quote. Really? Not like Tony Alamo, but like he he was religious. Okay. All five men had some form of mental health or learning disability diagnoses in which they all attended the same vocational rehab called the Gateway Project. 
However, it should be noted that they're all pretty high functioning for the most part. So they weren't like needing like personal care support constantly or mm-hmm. maybe at all. Most, I think like all, supervision yeah, like they all pretty much either lived at home or like kind of lived independently and like, mm-hmm. check-ins or something. yeah, I think the gateway project could be compared to like our adult day programming here in Ontario. Oh, okay. Like day away thing. Yeah. Um, for those who have like mental health or like cognitive or living or learning disabilities. So the men were close and they all had a passion for basketball, even playing on a team themselves, a special Olympics team called the gateway gators, which is just really cute. That is very cute. Gateway gators. The mascot gator. The mascot is a gator. (laughs) I don't know why I'm talking like this, but it's just so cute. Um, The gators were supposed to participate in a tournament on February 25th, 1978. The winners of this trip would win a week to LA where they would go to Disneyland. So, of course, the guys were super pumped. They really wanted to win because, like, who wouldn't want to go to Disney World? It's the best place ever. I've never been. Is it worth it? (laughs) <laughs> You're like, like, it's the best place ever, but... Mm. Like, I don't know if it would be worth it now. Like, right. as a kid. Right. I'd like... And don't go on Christmas Day, because that's when I went, and that was terrible. You went on Christmas Day? I went for Christmas. Like, oh my, my grade... Gosh. Nine... Eight years? I remember that. We stayed there for Christmas and New Year's, and we were like, let's go to the park on Christmas Day. The busiest day did, but of did the you, year. But did you go to... Flo- was that when you went to Florida? Because you've been to Florida. A couple times. Because I still, I still have the sand you got me from Florida. Because I told you to bring me <laughs> home sand out of all the things. Like, you went to fucking Disney World. I'm like, bring me sand. We yeah, went to Disney World, and then, like, a couple years later, we go back and we just rent houses. Gosh, and just like on the beach. But yeah, place to be when you're a kid. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, so before the tournament, the five guys had made plans to go see a basketball game the Friday, so February 24th, before their tournament the following day. The game was at the California State... University Chico campus, which is located in Chico, California. Chico! Jack M. drove himself and his four friends in his 1969 Mercury Montego, approximately 50 miles to watch the game that Friday night. It should be noted that Jack M. loved his car, and apparently was really excited to be the one to chauffeur his friends that night to the basketball game. The game finished... And the guys were back in the Montego by roughly 10 p.m. Uh, to head back home. Uh, remember, they had, like, a game the next day, so obviously they're like, hey, we need, like, we need to go home. Um, they thought that they should be home by, like, the latest midnight. Um, they did stop three blocks down from where the university was uh, at a store to buy some snacks. Because, like, you can't go wrong with some snacks on the ride home. In which they got back in the car and headed south towards home. But as you know, <laughs> this is a conspiracy theory episode. And because we are bringing you a weird distraction, you can probably guess already that the guys did not make it home. Dun-dun-dun. Saturday morning came around and none of the guys had returned home. Um, it didn't take long, obviously, at this point for the family members to kind of connect to the dots and be like, where the fuck are they? And proceeded with a missing persons report. And at this point, you're probably wondering, okay... But, like, well, they're five grown men. Why is it weird? Why is this weird that they didn't come home? Um, it's weird because this is totally out of their character. The guys that had their very, like, had very structured routines. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but they are like, super stoked for the tournament. Like, they all wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they, like, yeah. it wouldn't be like them to not come. Exactly. Not only that, but that Friday night, there was apparently a massive snowstorm, and apparently um, none of the guys were actually dressed for the weather since they were going from the car to the game and back, and then, like, back home. 
Meaning if they were outside, they were without coats or really anything to keep them warm. Now we're gonna introduce a new name. Keep up, so sorry. I, I was gonna go somewhere with keep up. I was like gonna be like keep up or steep up, but I was like, that makes no sense. I don't know, it's it's late. And by late, I mean it's like going on 8 p.m. <laughs> it's my bedtime. It's my bedtime. <laughs> like I'm getting ready for bed at this point. Um, we are going to introduce another man by the name of Joseph Joe Shons, and that's spelled S-C-H-O-N-S. Uh, he's 55 years old at the time, and on the night of February 24th, Joe was reportedly driving on a mountain road near Rogers Cow Camp in the Plumas National Forest. So he, I think he was driving up there because he was planning on taking like his wife and his kids skiing up that way. So he's like kind of like checking it out, making sure it's okay, yada yada, and he had a cabin up that way. Joe got caught up in the bad weather while driving uh, to the point where he had to completely stop because the cre- increasing snow drifts. He got out in the car and attempted to push it. However, this caused intense chest intense chest pains, and he actually was having a heart attack. Shit. This is why you don't do anything physical. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Um, uh, he was miles from help, so he got back in the car where he suddenly noticed two sets of headlights. One of the headlights seemed to belong to a pickup truck. The other one, I... I, I I looked. I could not find it. I have no mm. idea what the other one... But we should know that the other one looked like a pickup truck headlights. Mm. Um, obviously trying to save himself, Joe tried to scream for help, but no one in the suspected vehicles came out to help him, which, like, rude. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. Yeah. Later, Joe would recount that he saw a group of men and one woman who had a baby with her. This group of people walked past Joe or near his vicinity and did not help him or even, like, acknowledge him, which is, like, weird. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, ugh. <laughs> gross. <laughs> I say gross. It's just weird. Like, it's not gross. It's just, ugh. It's like, uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Um, a couple hours after, Joe was still sitting in his car when he noticed flashlights. So he went back outside trying to get help again. No one came forward and the flashlights went out. I'd be fucking pooping my pants. Like, sketch. Yeah, I'd be like, what is happening? Ugh. Uh, Joe noted he would hear voices and see what he thought were lights around the car, or, like, people around the car. However, anytime he'd call for help, like, no one would respond back. So it was getting kind of creepy, obviously. Out of options, Joe decided to walk approximately eight miles towards his cabin. During this walk, he would pass Jack M's 1969 Montego. At this point, it was empty. Joe thought probably belonged to the group of people that walked past him and had ignored him. Um, which, like, not, I don't think trying to be rude and be like, well, they didn't help me, so I'm not gonna try and find them. I think he was literally like, my heart's gonna stop. So I'm gonna die. I'm going to die. I need to keep going. The last going. thing I'm worried about is that empty car because exactly. I'm dying. Exactly. So, some reports uh, state that apparently the back two windows on the Montego were down, which is kind of weird in the, in the winter. In the winter. But, like, it's kind of an inconsistent statement. Like, I heard it once, and I was like, okay. Mm, made up. Yeah. Fake news. Fake news. Um, Ted's mom would state that ignoring someone's pleas for help was not like her son. Uh, it would, you know, if he had been present, he would have probably made, like, an, an effort to be like, oh, my gosh, let me help you, yada, yada. Mm. And she actually disclosed that um, that Ted and Bill helped, some that, helped somebody uh, they knew to get to a hospital after they found the person overdosing. Ooh. So, like, they were well, well aware of, like, how to help people and, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. They wouldn't just be like... <laughs> Bye. Bye. Another report citing... Um, 
da, 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 da. another reported sighting um, of the five comes from a woman who worked at a store in the small hamlet of Brownsville, 30 miles or 48 kilometers from the spot where the car had been abandoned, which they could have reached had they continued down the road from where they left the car. Um, so before I kind of dive more into that, I guess I should kind of mention what's going on with Joe. Mm-hmm. Joe, I think I mentioned it later. I think I got my notes all mixed up, but essentially Joe is fine. He lives. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No heart Spoiler attack. Spoiler alert. Well, he did have a heart attack, but like he made it to his cabin and then got help. Oh, okay. In case I accidentally d- deleted it or whatever. And before I get too far in the, in the other settings. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, back to the woman. So, on March 3rd, the woman who had seen the flyers that had been distributed with the men's picture and information about a reward uh, told deputies that the four of them had stopped out of the store in a red pickup truck two days after the disappearance. The store owner cooperated um, with her account. The woman said she identified the men immediately as from out of the area due to their, quote, big eyes and facial expressions, which, like... Okay. Two of the men, whom she identified as Jack H. and Bill, were in the phone booth outside while the other two men went inside. Additional details apparently came from the owner of the store. He told investigators that the men, who he thought maybe were to be Ted or Jack H. and or Jack H., sorry, uh, came in, bought burritos, chocolate milk, and soft drinks. Interesting. Interesting. Ted's brother told the LA Times, uh, apparently, that the owner's description of the two men's behavior seemed consistent with them as, quote, Ted would eat anything he can get his hands on, and that he was often accompanied by Jack H. more than the other four, because they were close. Like, they were, you know, Jack H. and Ted were tight. Thick as thieves. Um, however, Jack H.'s brother said Jack hated using telephones to the point where he, Jack's brother, would handle the calls for his brother. So, like, that didn't seem to add up. No. Despite this, none of these reports helped to find the guys. No. They're still missing. Back to the group of five. Apparently, no one fucking seems to know why these men would have taken the road they took home. That's another fun fact. Or funny, funky... It's not a fun fact. It's another funky thing. Uh, their family members and loved ones believe none of them knew that area that well. Except... Maybe Bill. Apparently, years prior, uh, Bill and his dad went fishing at a cabin not too far away, but Bill reportedly did not enjoy himself, and some speculate based on reports that he might have stayed home the next time his dad tried to go back to the cabin, because, like, Bill... They weren't... I think I mentioned this before, but they're not, like, out foresty guys, except Mm. for Gary. Apparently, Gary was, like, into the outdoors, but the rest of the four were like, (laughs) no thanks. So is this road, like, on their way home? No. no. Completely out of the way. Completely out of the way. So maybe they're going to, like, Bill's cabin because of the snowstorm. We'll get to it. Mm -hmm. Jack's Montego um, reportedly showed signs that the wheels had repeatedly spun, but it was not stuck. The guys could have moved it, and not only that, but the gas tank was, like, a quarter full. Hmm. Um, In the car, there were missing... The keys were missing. So they were missing. The keys were missing, and there were apparently four maps. One map of California was included. Police were able to hotwire the car, which it started immediately with no concerns. Um, furthermore, in the car, they also they also found food wrappers from when the guys had gotten snacks after the game. All that had been eaten, apparently, except half of a marathon bar. Police reported that the car and its undercarriage were undamaged, and further police felt like even though the mountain roads were bendy and curvy, the driver, aka Jack, um, or Jack M, uh, was able to drive with 
little light. Like, essentially the cops felt like, okay, either the driver knows this road and would be able to, like, handle it, like, really mm-hmm. well if they knew it, because, like, the current, like, whatever. But, like, it's pretty unlikely. Mm. Like, they'd have to know the road really, really well, because it, like, it was dark. Like, it was 10 or 11 p.m. Yeah. Snowstorm. Like, you'd have to know the road really well to yeah. know, like, when to turn and whatever. The Madruga family felt that Jack wouldn't have known the area that well, but he knew he was the only one besides Gary who had a license, and with it being Jack's car, he probably didn't let Gary or anyone else drive it. So it's not likely that anyone else but Gary, or Jack M, sorry, drove the car. Mm-hmm. Apparently during the search for the men, uh, search crew members almost got lost themselves due to the weather and landscape conditions. Mind you, again, this happened in a mountain-based environment with forests in the month of February. <clears throat> so, like, not good. Yeah, they can get lost themselves. Yeah. The search at first would be unsuccessful. Police, search crew members, family members, friends, and community were left baffled to, like, where the men were and, like, what happened. Mm-hmm. Until June 4th, 1978. Da-na-na. A small group of motorcyclists had taken a pit stop at a deserted forest service trailer camp. Say that ten times fast. (laughs) The group had noticed that while exploring the end of the road approaching the trailer, there was a distinct rotten smell. (sighs) The smell of a decomposing dead body that belonged to Ted. Oh, just one? We'll get to it. Okay. Ted was found in a 60-foot trailer, frozen to death. In the trailer, Ted was positioned, stretched out on a bed with approximately eight sheets pulled over his body and tucked around his head. Everything, including his necklace, ring, and wallet, were found nearby. However, his shoes were missing. Interesting. They also found a gold watch that had been missing some crystals in it. However, Ted's family stated that they had no idea where this came from and it wasn't his. Mm. Uh, For some kind of visual imagery ted was five foot eleven and weighed 200 pounds before he went missing but when he was found he had lost over approximately 100 pounds his feet were frostbitten and appeared as though he had grown a beard since he went missing shit experts have stated that they believed ted lived up to 13 weeks in that trailer with no food or resources the trailer was 19 and a half miles from where the car was found the trailer was locked from the inside, so experts believe that Ted may have broken into the trailer through a window to get in, which they confirmed after finding broken glass near a window that was broken. So it was open the whole time? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was observed that there were matches lying around, but had no indication that Ted tried to start a fire, even with the paperback books and wooden furniture around him uh, that were in the trailer. There was also apparently a storage shed nearby where ration cans had been opened and one had been opened with an Army P-38 can opener, which only Jack M. and Gary would have known apparently how to use because they were in the military before. Mm. In that shed, there was apparently a locker that reportedly had enough food to last a group of five, but it was left untouched. Also untouched was a propane tank in a different shed, which was, which like no one had searched the shed. Does anybody have survival skills? Probably not. No. Now, people might be screaming why the hell Ted did not look and use the resources to make a fire or eat the food and, you know, essentially... Survive. Yeah. Yeah. 
since he was found in the trailer, uh, you know, like there was so much around him and he could have used anything really. Mm-hmm. But for Ted, though, this did not seem unnormal to his family. Apparently, according to some reports, um, Ted's family described him to have a lack of common sense or possibly not really know how to take care of himself care of himself in a crisis situation. Mm. The family noted that due to his learning disability, he often questioned many things and didn't necessarily see clear logic in why others did certain things, such as why he should stop at a stop sign. And one night he reportedly needed to be dragged out of bed while his room, um, essentially the house was on fire and like he needed to be dragged out of bed, but he didn't want to leave because he had to go to work the next day. Yeah. Like that's why you're like when the house is on fire, <clears throat> you get the fuck out. Yeah. But he essentially like, because of his disability, he had a really hard time conceptualizing, like, mm. A plus B equals C. You know what I mean? <sighs> Which is unfortunate. Um, the next day, after finding Ted's body, they found remains later identified as Jack M. and Bill. The men were found on opposite sides of the road, 11.4 miles from where the car had been. Their bodies had been partially consumed by scavenging am- am- animals. <laughs> Only bones remained of the latter scattered over a small area. See it. Oh, this part gets me. Um, autopsy showed that they both had died of hypothermia. Uh, Deppy speculated that one may have succumbed to the desire to sleep, which, you know, is the final stage of hypothermia. Like, you just want to sleep because you're so cold. And that the other refused to leave his side. Oh. So one was like, no, dude, like, I just need to sleep. I'm just going to sleep. It's going to be fine. And then the guy's like, dude, we need to go. But he's like, no. And So one went to sleep and the one left. And the other one didn't want to leave him alone. Oh. So Jack M and Bill were together. together. Two days later, <clears throat> as part of, the, as part of um, you know, the search, obviously, continues. One party, uh, including Jack H's father found his son's backbone under a bush two miles northeast of the trailer. Apparently, Jack H.'s shoes and jeans nearby helped identify the body. Mm-mm. And it was his fucking dad that found him. I would be, like, crushed I, yeah, as a parent. Like, like, I'd be a mess. Right? The next day, a deputy sheriff uh, found a skull downhill from the bush about 300 feet away, and with dental records, they were able to confirm that the skull belonged to Jack H., his autopsy also noted the cause of death was attributed to hypothermia. Who was left? Just Gary? Just Gary. Mm. In an area to uh, in an area t- to the northwest of the trailer, roughly a quarter mile from it, searchers found three forest service blankets and a rusted flashlight by the road. It could not be determined how long those items had been there, though. Um, it also seemed that Ted may potentially have not been alone in the trailer after further investigation. Um that maybe Jack H and possibly Jack M were in there with them. Um, Jack M's tennis sneakers were in the trailer. Remember that Jack M also knew about that specific military can opener, which was found nearby. A speculation is that Jack M, his perhaps his feet perhaps uh, swollen from frostbite, could have decided to pull Ted's shoes on, put Ted's shoes on instead if he had ventured outside. The sheets all over Ted's body also suggested that one of the others had been there with him as his gangrious feet would have been in too much pain for him to pull the, to pull them over his body itself. Like, 
Somebody it, tucked him in. Someone tucked him in. Mm. So four out of the five men have been found, which begs the question, where the hell is Gary? Gary? Since Gary Mathis had presumably not taken his medication, pictures of him were distributed to mental institutions all over California. However, no trace of him has ever been found. So here, these are the mixed theories as to A, how they ended up there, or like how they ended up there, uh, like in the place they did in the Plumas National Park Mm -hmm. um, or near there. B, what happened when they got there and C, what we think happened to Gary. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's break it down. Break it, break it. (laughs) (laughs) You need to laugh after all that sadness. Um, okay, so why they took another way home. So one theory is that they were kidnapped. Apparently police went to a couple psychics <laughs> during the search investigation. Um, one told them that the group of five were kidnapped and either taken to Arizona or Nevada. Another, obviously this is before the bodies were found. Um, okay. Another told them that the men were murdered in Orville in a red brick or stained house with the numbers... With either the number 4723 or 4753, this one apparently led the families to do an intensive investigation in Orville. However, nothing was found. The house did not exist. It's a bad vision. (laughs) Um, The next theory as to why they were there and like what got them there was that they saw something. So Ted's sister-in-law reportedly theorized uh, that the men may have seen something at the basketball game that perhaps prompted someone to chase them. There was also never ever any evidence found that they could like find that anyone was chased at that point. Um, like there's no like tire tracks behind them or really anything. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, it'd be hard to tell with the snow, Yeah. but um, Jack M's mother told the Washington Post that she believed that quote, some force had led the group off their regular track. This could explain why the men did not light a fire while at the trailer. Because if they're hiding from someone, mm, they don't right? Be seen. My cat really likes that theory. Apologize, you will hear my cat Leonard. Yeah. Anyways, um, the next one is Forbes Town. According to some reports, Gary had friends in Forbes Town, and something that maybe he convinced the other guys to go visit them, uh, but took a wrong turn onto the 162, which led them to the mountains. After the car got stuck in the snow, one could see that maybe the men panic and decide to get out of the car and walk to find a nearby store or home. Especially because the road apparently had been plowed to some degree. Um, you know, they thought, okay, we'll just take this road. You know, it's been kind of plowed. So, like, we can kind of follow the path of the plow beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, after taking the wrong turn, they're like, oh, we'll find our way home, whatever. But did it? <laughs> this theory would also not prove the woman from the store or the store's claims either. As Brownsville is eight minutes south of um, Forbes Town or vice versa. I wrote... I wrote Brownsville is eight minutes south of Brownsville. (laughs) I swear, I do edit my notes, but sometimes I just miss things, I guess. Um, But essentially, they're eight minutes apart from one another, and it's way away from the 162 road that they did take. All right, so there's only, like, a couple theories as to what happened when they got in the forest um, or on the mountain roads. So one is that once lost in the storm of the mountains, one could speculate that perhaps the men were scared um, and eventually, you know, got out of the car because they're trying to, like, get out of the situation. 
And that once they heard Joe's screams, they, like, panic and just fled. It just, like, went off foot and, oh. you know. Um, perhaps the group decided to split up and find help, to find help, and got lost from one another, all leaving the comfort of the vehicle to try and find one another after a while. I'm trying to find help, though. Go to Joe first, I think, though. Well, I think, and I, that's the thing, I don't know what time specifically Joe came around. Like, I don't think he was, like, following behind them by any means. Mm-hmm. But, like, potentially. Yeah, they could think they're followed. Right. Um, and that kind of goes back to the theory. Like, if they're running away from someone, they hear Joe screaming, they could be like, oh my gosh, that's a person trying to, like, kill us. Else. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, an argument could have sparked between the men in terms of what to do next. So, like, once again, they're in a place they don't really know. They're stressed out. They're, you know, trying to figure things out. Things escalate, and maybe they got in an argument and split up. Very irrationally. Yes. Choices, but... And finally, Gary. So if you've been following along, I don't think this one is, like, I don't think these theories are much of a surprise. (laughs) So there might be some malicious intent behind Gary um, in terms of some people have speculated that because of his past and because he was, like, a newer member to the group, uh, Gary may have somehow led the rest of the group to their demise. Now, there isn't obviously any record of physical abuse that came up during any of the investigation of the four bodies, like during the autopsy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that could, you know, promote this, but some speculate that either Gary was the cause of the quote, they saw something situation. Um, i.e., for example, perhaps Gary had relapsed from his previous addictions and there was a drug deal gone bad or because Gary was known to have angry outbursts, you know, potentially snapped at someone at the game, um, or was the reason like, you know, they saw something or they were being chased by some, someone. So questions like, where yeah. is he? Because they all left in the forest and they all died in the snow, except him, and the car's still there. Right. About three weeks after the boys went missing, this is a, a fun fact, if you will. Creepy fun fact. A weird fun fact. Weird creepy fun fact. Weird oh. creepy fun fact. Um, a Yuba City woman named Debbie Lynn Reese picked up the phone one day to hear, I know where the missing five men are. The man who stayed this hung up. He would call Debbie the next day and say, I need help because I hurt those guys real bad. When she asked, who did you hurt? In which he replied, don't play dumb with me and hung up. Finally, on March 17th, another call started with Debbie, uh, you know, with her hearing, those five guys are all dead. The man said, they're all dead, she asked. He replied, they're all dead. Then hung up and Debbie never heard from this guy again. And Debbie's, like, not, like, associated with the other men. Mm-hmm. So it's really fucking random. Yeah. Really fucking random. And, like, creepy. Imagine you getting a phone call right now. Which is And someone's like, they're all dead. I killed them. Potentially. Oh. I'd be like, mm-hmm, who are you speaking about? <laughs> <laughs> who are you talking about? Because, like, I don't like a lot of people. And, like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't hire anyone to kill anybody. But, like, what's happening? <laughs> Um, the next theory is that Gary's actually dead and is somewhere in the forest. I believe that. I, I, I think I believe this one, well, we'll get to it, but I think I believe this one a little bit more than the rest. Um, cause there's a lot of land that mm. investigators and like search teams weren't able to really explore because of the, the weather conditions and just overall like the conditions of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a thick forest. Yeah. yeah. 
So people believe that he actually died in the forest and just we haven't found the body yet. Mm. The last one. Creepy, weird, fun fact. Creepy, weird, fun conspiracy theory is that Gary is still alive to this day. Some people speculate that because Gary had previously walked from Portland to Marysville once, remember, he's a walker, he likes walks, long ones. In the winter? Potentially. Um, and previously escaped menstrual, menstrual, mental institutions before that incident, he could have survived the conditions. But, like, how likely would it have been that he would have gone unscathed for this long? Like, he would be 67 in 2020. Yeah, like, people have been looking for you, potentially, since the day you're missing. Right. You need to talk to somebody. And not only that... a big name, but you need new papers. But not only that, but, like, he didn't have any of his medications. And not only that... So, like, okay, he didn't have his medications on him. Mm -hmm. And he has a criminal record. Yeah, I think he's dead. I mean, mind you, he has a criminal record in California. Who knows about anywhere else? I think he's dead. Direct quote from the Charlie Project website... The four men's, relative, four men's relatives believe it's possible that Matthias, Gary, was somehow involved in the incident that led to their deaths. Investigators don't believe that Matthias is still alive. However, they stated that he always kept in touch with them, and without his medication, he could not have been able to stay off the grid even if he wanted to. And that, my dear weirdos, is the Yuba County Five. It's... Creepy. I always like the little murder mysteries. I love this one, and eventually we'll. I think we'll cover the Diet Love Pass, the one that um, took place in Europe, Russia, Russia. Yes. Have you heard that one? I don't think so. Oh my god, we'll talk about it after the show. Because <laughs> um, I don't want to spill the tea. I don't want to spill the tea possibly. exactly. Um, but eventually, I think we'll cover it. And I, I just, oh, I just, it, the ones that aren't solved kind of freak me out the most because it's just like what. I need to know. Like, our human brains need to know what happened. Yeah, like, I'm addicted to, like, any crime show. Yeah. Like, especially the ones, like, here's a science, here's the evidence, here's the killer, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, I just, like, to need to know what happened. But that's the thing. Like, I feel like we're trained as a society to, like, want to know the answer. So when we don't know what happened, it's like, okay, but no, we need to know. Mm-hmm. We need to fucking know. Conspiracy theories. <sighs> conspiracy theories. <laughs> and speaking of conspiracy theories, the resources to tell you about this fabulous conspiracy... Oh my gosh, this fabulous conspiracy theory. <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant this conspiracy theory from the fabulous resources of The Strange Disappearance of the Yuba County Five, America's Diet Love Pass Incident by Top Mysteries. It's a YouTube video that was posted April 5th, 2019. Wicka, 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 Wikipedia, as always. Um, YouTube video, The Bizarre Disappearance of the Yuba County Five by Kendall Ray, posted on October 28th, 2019. Mental Floss website article, Bizarre as Hell, The Disappearance of the Yuba County Five by Jake Rosen, posted uh, March 16th, 2018. Out in the cold, where were four mentally disabled men set up to die in in the California woods, article by Benji Eagle. And finally, as mentioned, the Charlie Project website, uh, Gary Dale Matheus. Let's tell these fine, fine weirdos about some podcast recommendations. Yeah, so we, as we said, discussed in our last episode, we're going to do some podcast shout outs to some good podcasts, relatable (laughs) topics to us that you should go check out because they sound really good. 
Yeah. And we listened to someone. They are yeah. really good. Yeah. So, jumping right in. You got the, um, it's a blog, actually. They always, <laughs> Plot twist. Yes. They always move to Florida. So, a true crime blog that focuses on the fact that somehow, someway, the killer always seems to move to Florida. True. You can check this blog at theyalwaysmovetoflorida.com. And next, we've got the Malice Podcast. So our lovely friend Ariel uh, hosts this podcast, and you can join her as she explores the biopsychosocial factors of some notorious and some under-the-radar killers that provide, sorry, and provides further an afterthought episode with a digest more of the crime, the killer, and pay respects to the victims. Uh, You can listen to Malice on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, and more. You can also find Malice and Ariel on Get Vocal as well. And we have Death by Champagne. So hauntings, murder, conspiracy theories, deadly things, and champagne. Oh, oh my. my. <laughs> Every Friday, Mackenzie and Olivia bring you some scary stories to try and choke down. So also, they have the coolest intro music. Like they you listen do, to it, do. and I was like, I'm addicted. I need. I just want to listen to that on repeat. Like, like, it's I, so like good. I read it. I was. I listened to it. And I was like, we need to read your trailer. <laughs> I know because <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. But you can listen to that Death by Champagne on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and check them out on Get Vocal. And next, we've got the Yield Crimes podcast. You're actually going to hear their trailer after today's episode. Um, join Lindsay and Madison every Wednesday, where they go back in time to explore weird, which we love. Uh, true crime stories. Please, uh, you know, as mentioned, stay tuned after the show to hear their trailer. You can find them on Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And lastly, we have Power and Pride Podcast. So join Jay Quentin as they dive down into humanity and social issues in America. Topics include things such as homelessness, poverty, politics, religion, race, and more. You can listen to Power and Pride podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Rainy Public, and more. Whoop, whoop, whoop. All right. Tell these weirdos where to find us. Yeah, shout out to us, as I said. <laughs> you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please give a review. Please, five stars. Five stars. That'd be great. Five stars. You know you want to because you love us. Google Podcasts, <laughs> Google Podcast, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocketcast, and Good Pods. You can give out any suggestions or any feedback of anything of a story to Weird Distractions Podcast at Outlook.com. You can tweet us on Twitter. Twitter. Weird Distract I1. And hit us up on our Insta page at Weird Distractions Pod. And that, my dear weirdos, is that. Is that. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support, your love, your. Just all around weirdness. We appreciate you. You're everything. We appreciate you. We love you. And we're going to keep doing this because we love you. And we also need a distraction. And we want to give you you guys a distraction. And hopefully by the end of that, uh, end of this, I will learn how to talk again. (laughs) So once again, thank you. And if you need a distraction. We got you. Bye. Bye. I'm Lindsay Valenti. And I'm Madison Stengel. And we're the hosts of Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny, hey man, he's a nice guy. And they're like, no, he's disgusting. He has hooves. Strange. There are EVPs of spirits saying, get out in a room where patients committed suicide. And obscure crimes of yesteryear. 
Here, Justin. Here's your first phallic amulet. Join us Wednesdays wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.